Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Ozzy. And we're back in the same room. We're back in the same room, doing the same podcast, and we're back at the movies. Yeah, we've been back to the cinema. The cinema will reopen today. Yes, but not in town. No, Broad Street, which is our normal cinema, didn't. We went to the NEC, yes. which is open. And we picked, well, you picked, Batman Begins. I did. I mean, I, the interesting thing is, I suppose they don't yet have a release strategies for the big new film. So basically, uh, Cineworld is showing old films or kind of slightly off-the-beaten path films yeah, that they could put on that are new. There are a couple of films which I think are new. So Proxima is one, which is this space thing we didn't see. Um, and they're also kind of carrying on the releases that were stopped when everything shut down. So I think Sonic the Hedgehog, which was playing when mm. everything shut down, is still playing a little bit. But they're also showing big old films. So they're showing um, The Empire Strikes Back, Back to the Future, Batman Begins. They're showing quite a few Nolans because Tenet, the upcoming Christopher Nolan film, is the big one that's coming out in about a month. Right. And so that's one of the reasons they're bringing you know, Batman Begins is their Interstellar's been showing. I think Dunkirk's going to be showing. They're showing a whole lot. Right, okay. So why well, did you pick Batman Begins? Well, I picked Batman Begins because it kind of still remains a puzzle, or it remained a puzzle. I mean, I saw it when it came out, uh, and I fell asleep, <laughs> you know, during the whole of the first part, right? Uh, and then I've tried seeing it on television, and, I mean, I, I have now seen it about four or five times, I imagine, you know, and it's, it's never won me over, really, mm. you know, and I know that, you know, for a whole generation of people, your generation, I would say, in fact, yeah. it's like one of the best films ever made, one of the best films of the century, you know, and I kind of, I never got it. So, I mean, I can see in, in some ways, and I actually, one of the benefits, I'm, I'm so glad we went for the pictures today, actually, it was a real pleasure to go, and I think we should say it was like socially distanced, there was yes. only three people in the, in the whole of the cinema, but the main pleasure was to be able to see this in a proper IMAX screen because it, the image was fantastic. Yeah, IMAX digital, we should say, okay. for, for the purists and completists, which I'm one of, you know, big IMAX, which is what I saw The Dark Knight on twice back in the day, and which is what I saw Dunkirk on, things like that. You know, big full-format full IMAX is not what we saw it on. We saw it on the, the small yes. version that you get in, in Cineworld. But um, this, right. this, this is a film that was not shot on IMAX film. It's a shot regular film, and it's and so this is the way to see it. Yes, just a nice it, big it looked clear screen. Beautiful, you know. Uh, the skin was glistening. Every lighting effect was detectable and purposeful. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't regret us seeing it. It was beautiful, uh, and it was a real pleasure. And it was a pleasure that I didn't have. I think at the first screening that I saw it in, and actually, it's a, it's a. A pleasure that was not reproducible on, you know, yeah. ostensibly great Blu-rays. Yeah, but it's kind of not quite the, the same. same, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was very glad uh, to have seen it. But these are the reasons why I chose this film. So in a way, kind of, you know, I chose this film because I want to hear you on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think you're... Almost right to say that my generation considers it one of the best films. I think it's 
too much. We definitely, it's definitely a key film. Um, if not necessarily that um, brilliantly remembered, I don't think anyone thought it was a bad film. But I think when The Dark Knight came out three years later, which is mm. the one with the Joker, mm. that's when people sort of, I mean, Heath Ledger's performance as a Joker kind of took took over everyone. Yes. Um, and it also came with the tragic story that Heath Ledger died in between shooting the film and its release. And like everything that Batman begins had seemed to set up in terms of this darkness and this realism that mm. they were going for. When you, when you compare it to the previous kind of four Batman films, and even TV show and stuff before that, it was cartoony, it was wacky, it was zany. You think of what very Tim Burton... Very dark, though. Tim Burton certainly was very dark. Yeah. Um, the, the Schumacher, the, you know, Batman Robin and Batman Forever. Yes. Um, perhaps not quite so dark and certainly very, very badly received by just about everyone. Not very fondly yes. remembered. But even the Tim Burton ones, which had a big strain of darkness in them, it was that Tim Burton kind of wacky nightmare darkness where everything's covered in spirals and people have kind of big heads and colourful... You know what I mean? I, but you see, like I mean, I, I suppose I'm, I still prefer yeah. the Tim Burton Batman to this one, so... Yeah, no, sure. Um, but, I, but all I'm saying is, like, what Batman Begins was doing in muting all of that. Yes. I think it's hard... To, it's 15 years ago now, and it's probably difficult to remember actually what a what a change that felt like mm. and what a new direction and yes. how original that felt. Right. Um, and then when you got to, like I said, The Dark Knight three years later, and you had that whole opening sequence that people compared to Heat, mm. you know, the heist in Heat, mm. and, and, and this idea that, like, superhero films are realistic now. You know, that was the idea. Right. Um, which, you know, is a little bit silly, um, but that was... But in comparison to what had come before, this was... This felt very, very different. Yes. Um, and it felt like something you could take seriously. This is when they really started to talk about these films winning Oscars. Right. I think. Um, certainly there was, there was a huge pull for Heath Ledger to win it posthumously, mm. which he did. I think it's... I mean, I, I think it's very good, uh, but I still recognise all the things that I didn't like the first time. Yeah. Uh, I still think, you know, all of the opening sequences with Ras al Ghul were a bit dull, you know, and certainly kind of in my own imagination, having followed the comic book my whole life, in fact, all the movies my whole life, mm. I would have liked something better with that material. Uh, I thought the film's moral propositions were a bit iffy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the casting of Kate Holmes was not right. Um, Nobody seemed to like it at the time, and everyone preferred it when uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal took that role over. But I must say, when I watched this, because I, I watched all three of the Nolan films recently, mm. um, I was surprised at how much I liked Katie Holmes and actually preferred her to Maggie Gyllenhaal. I think, I think, I think her character—you feel the the emotional connection she feels to Bruce and the way she feels like she's lost him. I think you're meant to. But I thought she's too inexpressive and awkward mm. an actress. And there's something odd about her look. That it's almost as if, you know, she's had plastic surgery too young. <laughs> yeah, there's something stiff about her features. Yeah, she's not right. very expressive, I think. You know, uh, or it might be the television training, actually. Yeah, that kind of... Oh, yeah, she was on Dawson's Creek? That's right. Sometimes that manifests itself uh, in those ways. So I didn't like her casting, but I must say, I had a problem almost with all of the casting. Yeah, uh, in the sense that, you know, 
again, this is maybe just me nostalgic for youth or something, but there was something absolutely glorious and show-stopping and just divine about, you know, Tim Burton's bat, the casting of Tim Burton's Batman. Mm. You know, I mean, when when Jack Nicholson does his reveal as the Joker, it's sublime. Mm. And then, you know, to have it done in front of Jack Palance is sublime. Yeah. yeah, to see Jerry Hall come out of the shower. Yeah, like, and those are just like the, op- yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, there's nothing. So it's not that the casting is bad. Like, they they all work. I mean, I, I love Liam Neeson. And I usually, well, I can take or leave Gary Oldman depending on the role that he's in. Yeah, Rutger Hauer, you know, Morgan Freeman. These are all people I like, but none of them are at their best or their liveliest. Or it's not show-stopping casting. No, it doesn't have that show. I know what you mean. I mean, I I think back on Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, in, in Batman Returns, backflipping and being seductive and yeah. You know, I mean, there's nothing. It's not that here. There's nothing like that here. No. So I mean, I would say you know that uh, Christian Bale is much better than I remember. Uh, Michael Caine is much more efficient uh, than I than I remember. How do you mean efficient? Um, well, the thing about Michael Caine is I admire him. You know, he's always good and he's very good in this. Yeah, I just mm. don't like him. So, <laughs> right. yeah, I, I mean, to me, he kind of... Do you feel like he's someone who you see the technique too much? Um, like we've talked about Daniel Day-Lewis in that respect before. He's such a proficient actor. I mean, I think, you know, he might even be a bit of like of a genius actor. I mean, I've never seen him being bad, mm. you know, but I've only, I've rarely seen him being warm and letting you in. I mean, educating Rita where he plays that, you know, that mm. drunk and he's very lovable and yeah, you kind of feel this warmth towards him. I rarely feel a warmth towards any character that Michael Caine is playing. Yeah, well, I mean that that does sound like what we've talked about with Daniel Lewis as well. To be mm, fair, that's something sure. I think we come back to quite a bit with him. Yeah, um, so yeah. Um, yeah, he's very very good. Uh, it's interesting casting choices. Yeah, because they're all cool actors. Yeah. <laughs> interesting how many of them come from this side of the Atlantic. If you think about the main cast, Morgan Freeman and Katie Holmes from America, Christian Bale's Welsh. Kenny Murphy's Irish, Liam Neeson's Northern Irish, Tom Wilkinson's English, uh, Gary Oldman's English, Rutger Hauer's Dutch. Yeah. Um, So actually, the majority of the principal cast comes from over here. Well, Um, he's a he's a British director. Yeah. You know, and and it's a prejudice actually. You know, Uh, and I do think a more American cast would have brought different qualities to the material. It is an American story. Is it an American story? told in a in a closed in British way that doesn't talk about its emotions as much. Well, I'm not sure about that, but I do <laughs> think that um I think Brit- British people and critics and, you know, cultural commentators like to have it both ways. Mm. So, you know, when an American comes to film Dickens or Jane Austen or whatever they do here, it's always wrong. They always lie. They lack the nuances. The yeah. accents are never right. The locations are ridiculous. And they never imagine that it works both ways. Mm. That you can't just show up in L.A., you know, and all of a sudden kind of have all of the information, a lot of it which you absorb uh, unconsciously or through the skin or through experience, and somehow be, yeah, do the equivalent job that mm. kind of, you know, an American might make. I think that's just ludicrous. 
you know, so now you could argue, well, in this case, this was a big hit, it didn't matter, you know, and you could just say, well, actually, it, and maybe it was a good thing, it told a different story, it definitely um, is less of an American story than a global one, right? Mm -hmm. So, but I also do think that an, an American director and an American cast would have brought different qualities. Sure. Uh, just like, you know, an American director would have, and an American cast would have brought different qualities to Dunkirk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> A different understanding. Yeah. Right? You know, so, so, anyway, I, I, I actually don't think it's much of a problem with this film, but when you were talking about the casting, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's kind of obvious, and it's a kind of a prejudice, and actually it's the price you pay, yeah, when you, you, you give this kind of work to a British director. Yeah. I think you're right to point out that this doesn't have the the um, the spectacular feel in its in its casting or in its performances that particularly the Burton Batmans did. But they wouldn't really fit here at all. The style is so different and the and the the intention seems to be, seems to be so different. That, something like that would really stand out. Actually I think that's what really stood out in the Dark Knight and it and it made it work, you know, with, with Heath Ledger's Joker. Mm. And that was outrageous, and every every line was delivered in an interesting way, and every everything that he did with his, you know, he, he did that kind of uh, licking with his lips and looking around, and he really brought something psychotic, which wouldn't have felt that out of place in you know the Burton mm. world, and so and so it synthesised quite well, it, it married quite well um, in the Dark Knight. Would something like that have worked here? The the most kind of outlandish this gets is with the um, psychotic delusions brought on, the hallucinations brought on by Scarecrow's yes. um, hallucinogen. Which I think are great, actually. And I, I'd forgotten them. I even forgot on them between watching it three months ago and now. Yes. That, you know, like Batman turns into this demon yes. in Scarecrow's mind when he's been, yes. he's been given a taste of his own medicine, as he puts it. I love that. And I love Cillian Murphy in, in this, actually. Yes, you I know. think he's wonderful. Um, but... Just to continue with this idea mm -hmm. of a British director and so on, I think the whole class thing in this film, to me, also feels a British one. It's really highly demarcated, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the Wayne Mansion is like a stately home. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, in a way it. that other Wayne Mansions aren't, right? Um, so, kind of, there, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to develop that too much. I've here, been but... to it. I've been to the Wayne Mansion. Or one, well, it's, I can't remember if it's this one or the one in third film that they rebuilt. Right. But one of them, I've been to one of them in, in uh, you know, the Greenbelt somewhere. It's lovely. But actually, when I went there, it was like two months after the Brexit vote. Right. And there was like a village fete. This was in the summer, I guess. Or the so, spring. and this Wayne Mansion is in Britain. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, there you go. <laughs> and, well, I mean, like, I mean, so much of it, pretty much all of it, I think, was shot in Britain. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I, I mean I remember going there and I didn't know it was the it was this Wayne Mansion and it's just the exterior I mean you know that, that's all it is but um, there was this village fake going on at the time and I kind of thought God everyone here voted for Brexit and there's something very uncomfortable about this whole place mm -hmm. and it kind of it it seems like it married up like that's the kind of place mm. <laughs> a Brexit voter lives in that house. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind uh. of thought I mean, this is one of the things that I thought a few months ago when I. When I rewatched it for the first time, and because and, I really rewatched it since I'd seen it in two thousand and five, I think mm. for the first time, um, that the most implausible thing to me very early on 
was Thomas Wayne, Bruce Wayne's dad, uh, played by Linus Roach, another Englishman, um, who is constructed as this benevolent billionaire that you don't actually really ask where he got his money from, but he's this great billionaire that cares about the city. He's built this highly technologically developed railway that runs through the city. He works at the hospital and leaves the running of his billionaire business to other people who are, you know, with a knowing look, he says, more interested people. Um, and, you know, you're just thinking, wow, that does not fly today. Like, we, we're not perfect people, but we have a growing understanding of how these economic systems interact. And this guy didn't get his money from nowhere. It came from somewhere. It came from some form of exploitation. The film has no interest in thinking about that, mm. really. Um, it, th- yeah. it talks about it. In, it thinks about it in terms of crime. When you have Bruce Wayne uh, going around the world, Wayne Enterprises crates show up mm. all over the place, and it, and it's associated with criminal enterprise. But that's very specifically associated with what this new board of directors is doing. It's not the Thomas Wayne board of directors, mm. you know, because he's dead. He's been dead for years. So it's not really associated with this is what business does. It's to do with what these businessmen are doing. And these businessmen are corrupt. And it's possible in this world to be a good, honest, uncorruptible businessman. And it's just, it, does, it just feels very phony. It doesn't fly. It doesn't play today. It doesn't fly at all. And there are several moments like that, actually. I mean, I think the whole moral dimension of the film is not really worked through. So, you know, from the very beginning of the film, uh, Batman refuses to kill so instead, he blows up the whole joint and kills 30 people. Mm. And it's not commented on, yeah. right? Like, I mean, you know, those, those ninja extras are people, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So if you're going to have this compulsion about not killing anyone, why do you then kind of, you know, destroy this whole village, right? Or the same with a car chase, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you've just blown up. Like, you know, there are policemen in these cars who've been hurt, maybe maimed, maybe killed. Mm-hmm. Nothing. You just race past that. I need, I need, there's one line of dialogue where uh, I think it's Gary Oldman's character, the, uh, Commissioner Gordon, who says someone could have been killed. Yes. So that tells you someone wasn't. But, you know, you saw a cop car be exploded and flip over. He drove over one yes. with, with, his, with his tumbler. At best, that's lip service, and it doesn't. Again, it doesn't fly. Yeah. You just go, no, I don't. I'm not having this. I mean, the whole thing about the money and being a billionaire. I mean, there's something I find very well un-American, as we said, and I, you know, I could go on, uh, but also anti-democratic. Yeah, like at the core of this kind of film, really. You know, so. Because the whole thing about Batman, I mean, I remember as a, you know, as a kid thinking, you read the comic books and, you know, you examined like each drawing and you said, oh, you know, if I kind of swung on that pole with my towel in exactly this way, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, what this film tells you is, well, you need billions of dollars, <laughs> right? And you need all this technology, you know, and you need to be a billionaire and, yeah. you know, you needed this infrastructure. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's kind of also arises from the comic, you know, but the comic has something much more democratic. I mean, you know, if you think of the Robin, you know, the, the, the Robin thing, I mean, he's a circus performer who lost his parents, right? Like, right. yeah, so kind of, you know, I think the whole American ethos is much closer to working people than mm. this has it. And this and this are all, you know, people living in caves under highways, like... Yeah, like every poor person, you don't just see a poor yeah. person or, 
you know, a working class person that could be a billionaire tomorrow, like an American would do it. No, these are all like almost a subspecies that live in gutters, right? It, and not just gutters. I mean, that's something that it's something that I remember from seeing it the first time. It's always stuck for me that I never really got that when Rachel decides to show Bruce what actually the city is built on and, and how other people live, how the other half lives. She, she takes a sharp left turn down a ramp, literally, and underneath the city is another city. Yes. You know, it's not just gutters and things. Like, there are shops, right? There's like a high street under the city, but it's dark and it's polluted and it's corrupted and it's covered in trash uh, and the, the homeless people just sitting around. And it's it's actually quite trippy. It's not realistic, basically. Mm. It's, it's something... Expressive. It's from another world. Yes. I mean, I love... I love the expressive elements in the film. It's so beautifully designed and filmed. And, you know, I mean, there are shots in Wayne's Mansion where you think, like, my God, that bed has been chosen specifically, you know, to kind of illuminate this moment, right? Like, you know, it's like a a bed with these scrolls, made of scrolls and so on. Um, I mean, there are things that are just, I think, really quite amazing. And... You know, some of the shots, actually, with the Ras al Ghul people, it reminded me of Caravaggio's paintings. You had the black armor glistening on the sides, you know. Uh, uh, Things like that I really loved about the film. And and actually, I thought the IMAX really brought them Mm. out, you know. Um, And certainly the film is a marvel of structure and symmetry, right? Everything that appears reappears later on, you know, to Mm -hmm. an effect. You know, so uh, it's really tight and cohesive and, you know, kind of very well woven through. Um, I didn't like the chase scenes. I didn't like the car scenes. You know, and this is, again, maybe, you know, I'm just old-fashioned, but the editing was so fast, you 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 don't really get a sense of, you know, mm. where everything is going. I think the virtue of that, which it has one, is that it really puts you at the center of a ride. Yeah, mm. There is like this visceral thing that you're feeling because you do feel you're on the bridge being pushed ahead and, you know, what you're seeing is maybe what you would have seen out of the side of a window. So, you know... That's it, really what I felt. Yeah. I think... I think... I mean, I'm not looked into it too deeply and maybe I'll something, something I'll concentrate on again in the future. I think Christopher Nolan's action direction has become more refined mm. and it's improved over the years. But... I found the the chases here surprisingly visceral, mm. particularly the one with the tumbler and all the cop cars. Mm. You know, I think you're right. There's maybe an element of how many chases can exactly where are that sort of thing, but but it's visceral. I felt right in the middle of it. Yes, I felt the speed and the and the size and the weight of the vehicles and that sort of thing. Mm. I found them surprisingly effective because I hadn't remembered them being. They, they right. certainly don't have the same effect on TV, let me tell you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that was the virtue of the IMAX and the big yeah. screen, and you, you felt you were right in the middle of a ride. Yeah, kind of. Um, so, so I thought that was brilliant, actually. Um, that scene where the camera swirls and you see kind of Batman perched, you know, uh, on the yes. skyscrapers. I mean, that is brilliant, yeah. you know. Um, very beautiful and expressive. Um, it has a few laughs. Not many, and done in that kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> yeah. yeah, style. Payoff line at the end of the yeah. scene. A lot of it's like that, yeah. Yeah, which which actually I think most of the actors don't have the flair, no, to pull them off. I mean, you do laugh. I love, but there's a bigger laugh in there that they're not getting. Yeah. The, the worst one was when Gary Oldman sees the tumbler. 
Batman goes, I'll get my car. And he goes, what car? And then the, the huge tank rolls by. And Gary Oldman goes, I've got to get me one of those. Which is not a funny line, and it's not delivered in a funny way, and it's lame as hell. But it pays off because he gets to drive it later. I know, but it's you know? meant to be funny. and you, Of course it is, yeah. You know. It doesn't work at the time. But um, it does pay off. And then what happens is, when he gets in, he gets kind of dragged down by the controls of the car into the, that forward position. And I love Gary Oldman's surprise when, he, when that's happening, because he has no idea. I laughed at that. Yeah. And, that's, and I think it's, again, that's a deliberately funny moment. It's not a film that's kind of a laugh riot, but actually got more laughs in it than you would expect or that I remembered. Well, it didn't have as many as I wanted. <laughs> um, and that comes through characterization and theme, and, mm. you know, it's not just um, through, through dialogue. Um, the, you know, the whole... Um, approach, which I think is culturally a British one, did really bother me, actually. It's, so it's a criticism of, of the film as well as just the fact that it was a British director directing it. So, for example, you know, little things, but, you know, when the young children who are playing together, when the parents die and they get locked up and the young girl goes away with her mother, mm. you know, there's a lot more made of the impossibility of that class divide, yeah? Mm. You know, so, she, yeah, she's back with her nurse mother or whatever, right? Uh, yeah, I think it's a kind of a, yeah, a real mm. British attitude. I mean, I think in an American context, they would have been help, you know, <laughs> and part of the family or something, right? Yeah, not like upstairs, downstairs. You know, this is very much filmed in, mm. in that kind of way. Um, so, um, I think, yeah, kind of, um, you, you see it in a worldview in relation to the story, yeah, which feels kind of anti-democratic, yeah, like, another example, Carmine, the gangster, Mm -hmm. yes, you could imagine how for an American, you know, maybe, you know, instead of being a schlub, you know, like, kind of, you know, this coarse, working-class, you know, mm. thug. You know, they might have made him, like, a Coppola, you know, into, like, a Marlon Brando or something, yeah? Like, mm. or Frank Sinatra. Like refined. A, yeah, refined. Yeah. They've got money now, yeah? Yeah, whereas like, he's clearly, actually, the character is someone who is playing at refinement. Thug. Or someone who is playing at refinement, having come up from nothing and become a kind of head honcho, but his class shows through still. He's, t- he's shown to us as a thug, mm-hmm. right, with the manners of a thug and the way of speaking of a thug. You know, I mean, there, was, there were things like that that I just kind of didn't buy and that to me seem really excessive um, and, and kind of bad storytelling. So, for example, you know, if you compare it to the original Superman film, yeah, mm-hmm. like, you know, those scenes in Kansas with Glenn Ford, well... You know, you see Glenn Ford and you see a history of the West and blah, blah. Yeah, like it kind of it connects to place and attitude and... Yeah. yeah. Like here, Linus Roach, and is it Rosamund Pike who plays the mother? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I would have recognised her. Okay, yeah. we'll see who plays the mother. Because, uh, I mean, she's also a famous British actress. Sarah Stewart or Sarah Stewart. Oh, is it? Scottish. Oh, uh, then I, you know, I kind of... Um, she looks a lot like uh, uh, Rosamund Pike. She's a tall blonde, um, you know, with classic features. Um, she has a lot of um, theatre and TV credits. Yeah. Um, but not so much in film. Um, I don't recognise her, really. Well, I don't recognise her. 
Anyway, little things like that. I mean, I just think, you know, an American would have done it different. You know, you see like uh, uh, William Powell and Myrna Loy playing millionaire detectives and they're classy and elegant and, and they're yeah. really democratic, right? Like, yeah. Well, there is this central thing that goes on with Batman that this film is not the only one that has... It's central to Batman, which is he is part of the billionaire class and yes. he beats up on low-level crime. You know where and and you'd like to think that the real crime is in his class. It's in his company. Yes, <laughs> as I was yeah. saying about Thomas Wayne, uh, yeah, that how unbelievable it is that Thomas Wayne is this character that he is. Yes, you know, and the, and the idea that he has done so much good for the city by building them a railway. You go actually, I can imagine, I can imagine that a lot better for the city would be if he didn't have this company. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but that's central to Batman. That's central. That's always been. You know, maybe it's not something that's always been thought about in Batman. The idea is that, that crime is located in the lower classes. This is what needs beating up on. It's not structural. To be fair to this film, it does... Um, it likes to have it both ways, right? Mm-hmm. So, on the one hand, um, throughout most of the film, uh, you know, Wayne is... All Waynes are happy to let you know, the company continue to make money, right? Uh, yeah, on the other hand, they are building weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, and at the end of the film, yeah, they figure this out and they change the board. But that's just one of the things that Wayne Enterprises does, right? Like, yeah. you know, you don't make billions of dollars by investing uh, ethically. <laughs> no, yeah, so you're right that this is a central contradiction uh, in, in the film. I think less, less in, less in, am I right? Maybe I'm not right. I was going to say less in the comic book and so on, because, you know, the comic book is a millionaire and, you know, like, you're not told much of, well, actually, I, I, it probably, de- you know, depends on periods. At some periods, I'm sure that um, the black elements of his wealth would have been discussed you know, more than others. But certainly myself growing up, you just think, well, he's a millionaire and that's it, mm. right? Like kind of, you know, the, uh, you're, there's nothing about where his money comes from or what he makes money doing and so on. It is a theme in this film. Yeah, it's a very low-level theme, though, I think, and it's something that the film basically ignores. I mean, I, it wants to, I think, and I think it probably did at the time successfully, sneak past you the idea that he just has this money. Thomas Wayne just has this money. He can work at the hospital. Other people take care of the money. And, you know, like I say, it, it, it vaguely approaches these ideas, but I think it associates them with this particular board of directors as opposed to structural, structural issues with how big business works and where its money comes from. I think the film does, though, because, you know, there's that irony that every bit of... The technology that Batman will end up using has been invented and generated for the military. Yeah. You know, so I, it's like, you know, military contracts and, yeah, weapons of mass destruction. I mean, it's all been designed for war, right? I know what you mean, but it seems, it feels to me that that is more of a convenience of how he has this stuff. In the films, in the film's mind, that I think that's something that we bring to it. Yeah, I, yeah, no, I, I do you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that interpretation is absolutely fair and accurate. And I think we, we're both right to make it, but it's something that we bring to the film now. It's, I think, it's something that 
I think is unremarked on really by the film. Hmm. You know, like like whenever um, you see a bit of uh, gear that the criminals have, it's always in a Wayne Enterprises crate. You see Wayne Enterprises all over it. But I think the intention is Wayne Enterprises is now an evil company. It wasn't in the old days. Mm-hmm. It wasn't before Thomas Wayne died. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Um, can I just go back to another point about... Sorry, I have this hobby horse now. <laughs> about the British? About the British. Bloody British. Because, you know, the other line that struck me was uh, Alfred's speech about... You know, it's your father's name. Six generations of mm. Waynes have lived in this house. You know, I was watching a documentary on Ralph Lauren the other day, right? And, you know, Ralph Lauren was born Ralph Lipschitz. <laughs> and, you know, there's a whole thing about people going to America to reinvent yourself. To, you know, you change your name, right? Yeah. You became Americanized. So the sense of holding on to this name... You know, this is not like the Duchess of Devonshire, right? Like, mm. you know, it's America, it's New York. Some Americans have that, though. There is, you know, you have things like, you have the Kennedy name, you have the Bush name, you have, you do have these big names, uh, Roosevelt, you know. There are big names and kind of dynasties America has. Sure. In, and the name is important to that. Sure. It may be that you came to America and gave yourself the name Roosevelt, but then everyone below you has the name Roosevelt and it's important from then on. Sure. So Wayne might be one of those names, you know. You can imagine. <laughs> you, can, you can imagine if if Bruce Wayne if Bruce Wayne wasn't an orphan and he had a big family, there'd be cousins who were in politics. Oh, you know, I kind of. <laughs> I, I so any of these elements you could excuse like that. Collectively, they add up to a problem. Sure, you know. Um, sorry, that's. I just want. I just no, remembered no. this thing about you know. <laughs> yeah, six eight generations of Waynes have lived under this house, under this roof. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, well, I've been, I was saying to you, I've been rewatching Mad Men recently, and there's a whole strain in that with the, with the um, Pete Campbell and uh, Trudy Vogel characters with their names, and particularly Pete Campbell, Pete Campbell Dykeman or Dykeman Campbell, and it's like we gave you your name. Is a whole strand in that. It's something that does exist to some extent. Yeah, it? but it was probably like one generation old, and the whole <laughs> thing about Mad Men is about the hero's reinvention, of course, yeah, you know, and else. taking on a new identity and you know, kind of creating himself in New York. So there are just kind of different ethoses and ideas and histories, you know, that come into these stories. And anyway, it's just an interesting, I think, you know, uh, a perception or point of view. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that this is in many ways, this Batman is a very British Batman. I think that's, yeah, that's, it's really interesting way of thinking about it. And I think you're right. Um, it was interesting when I rewatched them yeah, you know, a few months ago, as I said, because I watched the three of them, and, and it was really the first time I think since any of them had come out that I'd watched them the whole way through. Maybe I'd watched The Dark Knight a few times, but certainly Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises I hadn't seen since their first release, and I was surprised at how much I preferred Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises, the first and last in the trilogy, to The Dark Knight, which is the one that in everyone's head stands apart. And I think it's so much to do with Heath Ledger as the Joker, as I mentioned. Um, I, I, well, I think expectations were maybe low for Batman Begins. People didn't really know what to expect. Mm. Um, and then after The Dark Knight, which went down so well and made a billion dollars and the rest, uh, expectations were so high for The Dark Knight Rises that it couldn't help but disappoint people. Um, and I think it's always so useful to go back and look at these later on because I always find myself thinking about it differently once the hype has gone and once mm. you know once I can look at it holistically um, 
because one I found ultimately the series is about the battle for the soul of Gotham. Mm. Gotham is the central thing in this, and the first and last films because they have this continuity with Ra's al Ghul and the Al Ghul family, and the the League of Shadows has this thing about Gotham is the next kind of uh, Rome, it's the next Carthage or whatever. You know, we we have to sack this city. It is corrupt and destroyed and broken and the only way to fix it is to raise it to the ground and so on it has to be punished like 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 Noah's Ark or like Sodom and Gomorrah or something like mm. that there's this continuity between the between the first and last which I think is really strong and actually has a lot of heart and you feel like it's not just about Bruce Wayne it's about the people he loves and the city he loves and, and what he feels it all represents whereas the middle film The Dark Knight is this like this mathematical equation about Batman exists therefore the Joker exists. You know, yeah. One cannot exist without its counterpart. And the whole thing about the Joker having these five different backstories and it's never explained where he comes from and he just shows up and they have that conversation in the middle of the interrogation room where it's about, you know, what would I do without you? You complete me. I mean, literally, it's the line from Jerry Maguire. Yes. You know, um, it was amazing at the time, but afterwards, it left me feeling cold when I, when I watched it recently. I thought... There's no heart in this. It's about, it's about this this logical idea. You know, so much of the film is about the setups are about um, the Joker has captured uh, Rachel and captured Harvey Dent, and you can only save one or the other. And then there's a thing with the two boats, and one of them has civilians and one of them has prisoners. And again, there's this thing about one can blow up the other and how you're going to save them. And it's and it's all about these choices. You know, uh, Harvey Dent's in there. Two-Face flipping the coin, yes or no. It, it leads to these really brilliant setups where, you know, you can imagine, like, the two different outcomes, hmm. you know. But um, actually, in terms of the wider story and the wider theme of what does Gotham mean and what does Gotham mean to Bruce, it leaves me feeling really cold, whereas that's what the first and last films have. Oh, you see, I don't think the first film, the one we saw today, has very much of that at all. And actually, what I would say is that it actually does lack warmth and a heart uh, and love in a, in a broad concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's kind of, you know, what does, what does Bruce Wayne love? You know, I mean, he's willing to sacrifice everything. But actually, you know, even the notion of sacrifice doesn't have any meaning without love. Mm. Right, like kind of, you know, your sacrifice is only worth anything if you're giving up something important. <laughs> yeah, like the sacrifice in this really, well, his actions in this are spurred by, initially they're spurred by the fact he lost his parents and he wants to kill the guy who did it. Um, and he goes and he trains with League of Shadows and he wants justice and he thinks they can give him justice. And then when they want him to execute a guy to prove himself and to finally join the League, he goes against it, and then and then what spurs his actions becomes this isn't the kind of justice that I want, mm-hmm. and it's also learning about what they intend to do with Gotham. You know, no, this isn't what I want. There's a different way to save it, which I totally feel. But the thing is, it's 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 a learning process for him, isn't it? It's like this is this is the origin story. This is Batman's beginning. I know, how but he, even how he becomes of, who he is, even this abstract sense of justice, you can imagine how someone else would have driven it through love. Right, your sense of justice is driven because you know you love these people who are being forced to work underground. Yeah, you know. No, I, I mean, I'm agreeing with you. I am. Mm. I'm getting there, but I, I'm essentially saying like actually, this, that's not how he's. That's not how he gets to 
his actions, his actions are spurred by not like this, mm. as opposed to not at all. Because mm. clearly, basically, the League of Shadows doesn't love Gotham, right? They hate it, they want to raise it to the ground. They think it's disgusting. Um, and you don't feel that love in Bruce either, and you feel like he going, no, it needs to be saved. It needs to be saved rather than destroyed. But you don't feel that when he wants it to be saved, it's because he loves it. It's just because... He doesn't want it destroyed. He feels like that's too much, <laughs> mm. or not necessary. You know, you could fix it in a different way. But I the mean, ultimate objective is, you don't feel it. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of love in all its manifestations because you actually don't really feel that he loves the Katie Holmes character. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a shared past, a history, whatever. You don't even think he, he. You know, you're not shown him loving Alfred. You're shown, yeah, there's a bond and a yeah. trust, and yeah. But you're not shown love yeah, mm-hmm. between them, uh, which you could have been, uh, you know. So so, and then you know, there's no love for the company. Uh, um, I mean, you you know, you're told repeatedly that obviously he loves his father and that marked him, but actually that expression of love is experienced as a loss, as a hurt, as a yeah, as an mm. attack. It's not a giving of love; it's a removal of it that becomes. Yeah, kind of primal and, you know, changes his life. Like it's seen in its negative aspect, yeah? The removal of it. Uh, it's a- yeah, and his father is always something to live up to in this film. Live up to your father's great name. And I think we've both kind of established that his father is unrealistic. So how is he ever going to... Yeah. So... It's always, his, it's always his father, it's never his mother. Yes. Well, well, I was thinking about it, that as well, when watching the film. He lost you know, them both. Yeah, but I think this is also what makes it such a boys' film. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, women really might as well not exist in this story, really. And, you know, had the film been about, or had the story been about a mother-son relationship, it would have been completely different. Not to speak of a, you know, a mother-daughter relationship, yeah? I mean, it's definitely working through father-son relations throughout the whole of the narrative, really. Yeah. Um... Matt Denny, who I mentioned on the previous podcast about The Exorcist, on Twitter he made a comment on the Martha moment in Batman vs Superman, which is very well known for being kind of silly, which is where, um, uh, actually which one is it? It's Batman, I think, who's going, save Martha. And then Superman goes, who's Martha? Or is it, is it the other way around? I can't remember. One of them goes, save Martha. Mm. And the other one goes, that's my mum's name too. Uh. And it's a very silly moment. But then that's how they learn that they're both people and they're connected and so on and so forth. And uh, Matt said, people mock the Martha moment in Batman vs Superman, but it's one of the few moments in any Bat film to acknowledge that Batman is not a well person and neither is his behaviour that of a well person. Also, it's nice to see a Batman who isn't only about his dad getting killed, but misses his mum too. <laughs> Which you totally feel here. Yeah. It's all about his dad. And it's not even about who his dad... Like, it's not about love for his dad. It's about the idea of his dad, what his dad represented. And not even represented to him, but represented to the city. Yeah. You know. Well, this film is very much about what it is to be a man right mm. it gets the 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 issue gets addressed in all kinds of ways so for example carmine lies and tells him oh your dad you know i heard in prison that your dad begged for his life right yeah i yeah even in negative ways there are you know ways that a man should behave and he didn't behave or he mm. did behave or you're not like him or yeah he wasn't as good as you thought or he was like a saint and you're ruining the name like it's all so much about yeah, that relationship with the father. Yeah. When when they're fighting at the start or training, Ra's al Ghul is training with Batman 
and he says, uh, it's not your fault what happened to your parents, it's your dad's. Yes. Your dad didn't act. Yes. Yeah. And again, uh-huh. and maybe he's just teasing him to get the reaction that he wants when he's training him, but still, it's implicit. Like, this is, he didn't behave the way he should have, didn't behave the way a man should. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, I thought you'd comment on, on its noirish aspects. This noirish look, which noirish feel. You love noir. Do you see? Yeah, but uh, but actually, uh, that was one of the things that I feel the film is not really successful for me because mm-hmm. I think real noir is it really explores the darkness in people's lives, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of the contradiction, the nastiness, or you know, the terrible things that kind of sometimes people do. I don't think any of that gets explored in this, right? Yeah. I mean, I think you know, it's a noir setting. You know, and Batman is supposed to be not well. But actually, you don't get a sense of what his nightmares are, what's keeping him up at night, what his anxieties are. Does he have a small dick? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> you, like, you know, there's... there. Are... Well, yeah, all the, all the stuff about how he fears bats the most is very light. And when he decides to become a Batman and he says, you know, other people should fear what I fear, you kind of go, but they're not going to see it that way. There is this central idea of fear that runs throughout the film, the central theme. And, you know... um, the, the plan of the League of Shadows, which is in itself kind of silly, you feel like it's over-elaborate. Um, the central plan of the League of Shadows is to put this hallucinogen in the water supply and evaporate so that everyone will start hallucinating mm. and getting frightened, which indeed they do. In practical terms, what the League of Shadows is, uh, hopes to achieve by doing this in particular is lost on me. Well, um, I was going to say that a greater artist than Nolan would have made those nightmares real. You know, kind of, you know, what are people terrified of? Mm. As opposed to just taking, like, the guy who rides in on a horse and then the horse is breathing fire in their imagination. Like, it's not meaningful. Exactly. You know, kind of being hungry, begging, having to beg, you know, not being able to get medical care, losing your loved ones. I mean, there's so many things that people are truly terrified of and afraid. And that would have been, like, a great moment in the film if actually you, you give voice you know, to those worries that are both like, yeah, psychologically individual, but also kind of socially embedded things that kind of really drive people, the people's real fears, right? You know, the like children the, being burnt in a fire or something. But the film has no interest in those people's inner lives. No, it's, it has no interest in those people. No, no exactly. I mean, there's so much. There's so much about it that is that character is actually type. People are used as types, yes. and they represent social strata. But you see, great pe- actors or great directors, yeah. Sometimes there's a flicker of the eye or a movement or a gesture, an expression that brings it all alive. Mm. Yeah, that you are both that type and you know, yeah, yeah a, a, a social thing and an individual thing and a feeling that people can connect. I don't see that in this film. No. The, the kind of the, the conceptualization is very very broad and and not that bright really like I say we can't we kind of feel that the ideas that you could bring out of the Batman source material where this money comes from the billionaire class that sort of thing is basically not here it's not of interest it's no. it's um it's the background it's like it's as you say it's it's assumed and actually the fight is well, for Batman, at least at the start, it's low-level crime. Like, mm. the bad guys are... Um, and it's not that they're not bad guys. You know, these criminals should have some full justice. Uh, there's this idea as well about... Um, you know, when, when everything is broken down, you need the vigilante. The film is is 
absolutely in favour of that. Mm. You know, it's not it's it's not saying you no. Know, the the system needs to be better. You know, I mean, maybe a character says that, but the film is not saying the system needs to be better. The film is saying the system is thrown out the window. You can't be trusted. Yes. you have you have to act yourself. I mean, mind you, it is Batman, so <laughs> you know, I, I am I am willing to give it license in that regard. But even with that license, I still think it lacks a seriousness of themes. Yeah, that things are not kind of worked out to the depths that the you know mm. somebody else might plumb really. Yeah, that it is kind of quite superficial. You know, so and I and I want to bring this up because you know if the film is meant to be one of the greatest films of all time, I think it's made it you know into lists of kind of you know people's you know one hundred top films in the history of cinema. And you think, are you fucking joking? Like you know, kind of you have a different level of expectations. Yeah, for you know these mm. great masterpieces of cinema, and this doesn't meet them. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would. I mean, I don't know how other people have rated it. I would definitely disagree with greatest, but definitely influential. It's a key film. You know, cinema yes. was changing at the time this film was made, and this yes. is one of the films that was changing. It's it. it's a landmark film. You know, it's a film that is key to understanding kind of you know Hollywood cinema as a global cinema. Yeah, in a particular period, there's no question about that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I think there's no question that it's a landmark film. Uh, to me, it's not a great film. No. I tell you the final thing I want to think about is it made me think of you. You talked about feeling like you're in the scene, uh, in the car chase, yes. you felt, and I felt that when Batman was stalking his prey, um, it's something that some people talk about a lot in video games, particularly. The Batman Arkham games, which came out over the last sort of fifteen years, and or ten years, and um, and the Spider-Man game that came out recently on PlayStation, which is where people go, you feel like Batman, you feel like Spider-Man. You think, what does it mean to feel like them? How can you know what they feel like? Mm. You go, well, in Spider-Man, you feel the freedom of swinging through the city, of climbing up any building that you like, of sitting there on top of everything. You can run and escape and fly. You know that feels like Spider-Man. And in Batman, in the in the Arkham games, it's all about sitting on top of uh, like rafters and girders and gargoyles and shit like that and scaring the crap out of 15 armed goons below you who are terrified that you're there and you're going to grab them and beat yes. them up and this has that right when he's when he's talking about it in the uh, shipping crate yeah. scene and I think there's one other one you feel that intensely yes you do however and this is me now definitely speaking as an old fuddy daddy <laughs> I wish the film had made more of that because one of the characteristics of Batman is that, right? And you're shown him being trained for that. Yet he's meant to be silent, you know, to be able to appear anyway, to, to seem to disappear from places without making a noise, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're told that, but actually almost everything you see is cacophony, you know, blast, <laughs> sound, crashes... Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you get the sense of him appearing out of nowhere. Yeah. But always surrounded by tons of sound. The sense of stealth. Yeah. That you would get from Batman in comic books. Yeah. Mm. That, yeah. That's he, he can chase his prey undetected. Like, that's not in this film. And I think it's an interesting point about the training as well, actually. I think so much. I mean, I've said that certain things in the film feel like they're there because they have to be there. And I think some of that is the training as well. Like when he's trained by the League of Shadows to be stealthy and um, when he's trained in combat, 
Um, it's it's there because it has to be because this is how Bruce Wayne learns to fight and learns to behave as Batman um, and learns those skills. But I don't think you get a good sense. It, it, the, the film doesn't turn that into two things at once, which I think a better film would. It doesn't say, okay, he's learning this, but what can what else can we learn about him while this is happening? Yes. I don't think it does that. It just puts us in as, and also, this is how we learn to fight. And I, an even more basic thing that I also think a better film or a better script would have brought out is, you know, what is he learning from this experience that he can develop in a way that none of the other participants can, which is what makes him special. Yeah, why does he, why does he become Batman and the others Don't. are just in the League of Shadows? What yeah. makes them less great? Exactly. Because Batman, like, is special. Yes. And if he's not physically better... He has to be mentally or spiritually and better. That and he has, I suppose, that spiritual difference that he will refuse to kill. But that doesn't explain why he is a superior fighter. Or and, a superior thinker or strategist. Yes. Or, you know, so Because he is a detective, right? He was detective comics. Well, that's not right. a comic series. Yeah. He's supposed to be a detective. So his, his brains should have had, you know, as much of a focus on being trained yeah. as, like, his body. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, or, or some explanation of... Of, of the fact that he has these brains. I mean, I don't think you get that sense at all. He's not a detective in this. Yes. And that is actually key to what the character's supposed to be. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we should probably wrap this up now. Yeah. Um, um, any last words? I'm really glad I saw it again. Uh, and if the other two come around... Actually, actually, if the other two come around the cinema, which they might be, the, the film I would be more interested in seeing is the third one rather than the second. Like, which is partly because I've seen the second so many times. But the third, actually, I think is a real emotional ride for me and I think it's better structured and the characters develop more interestingly I think the action is largely better than in these two the first two films and I maybe even cry at the end you know and that's better than crying at the end of Endgame (laughs) (laughs) this is the this is the real superhero (laughs) series I think if they come out if they're shown in the next few weeks uh, we should see them all um, you know, I was really happy to be back at the cinema. Mm. It's a, just a different level of, of concentration, of attention. I love the size. I love the ambiance. I love the ice cream, and I love to you know to be able to see the film in such detail. Actually, yeah, and two hours and twenty minutes flew by. Yes, they did. They actually, really that's did. an important thing. It really did. Yeah, you didn't fall asleep this time. I didn't fall asleep this time. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies. And we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Movies, And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. We're back at the cinema. Yes, hurrah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not the fucking same. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I have to get that in. <laughs> Say that again. You don't believe... What, why? what was that? You don't believe... Well, you know, some people want to insist that watching things on your television at home is the same as seeing it in the mov- in the, at the movies. And, and it's, it's just not. not. And you refuse to let that go unremarked. That's right. <laughs> it's got Joffrey in it. 
Oh, yes, it does. Tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny little Joffrey Baratheon. <laughs> I'm scared of the boy. Again, he's not. He's Irish, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's from over here.